Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bold Speak Podcast. I'm Anthony Creedon. Thanks for joining me as we continue our study of No Other Gospel, a study of the book of Galatians. In today's episode, we'll continue to trace Paul's defense of the true gospel as he ventures into the life of Abraham. Now, while the amount of scripture we're going to cover in this section is small in comparison to other lessons, uh, the insight Paul provides here is phenomenal and, and carries with it a depth that it's going to take a little bit of time to explore and unpack. Uh, so if you have your study guide, go ahead and open it up to page 14 as we're going to be covering the second part of lesson three. And if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, what study guide, what are you talking about? Uh, let me kind of catch you up to speed. On our website, www.theboldspeak.com, you can purchase the complete Galatian study guide for only $10, and this study will guide you through the complete podcast series of No Other Gospel, which will run about 16 episodes or so. Uh, this 43-page guide offers some additional notes, uh, some study aids, spaces to record your answers, and even some spaces for reflection so that you can get the most out of this look into Paul's letter to the Galatian Christians. And as a benefit, this purchase also helps to ensure that Bold Speak can continue to offer you the best in biblical studies and education for a long time to come. And believe me, you aren't going to want to miss the next study or the one after that. In fact, I have some pretty awesome stuff lined up for you uh, that I'll tell you more about later when we're closing out this study. Uh, but until then, let's get back into Galatians with Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. Uh, as always, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Uh, so if you'd like to follow along, go ahead and grab that. If you're driving in your car or somewhere else that you don't have access to a Bible uh, or just simply can't take your eyes off the road, just sit back, relax, and I'll read it to you. All right, so here we go. This is uh, Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, up to this point, we've been having a conversation about what Paul is trying to communicate through the life of Abraham. As Paul references Abraham, he's been making a strong case for the fact that Abraham was saved by his faith in the promise in God and never by his actions toward God. That it was always a matter of God's commitment to Abraham, never about Abraham's commitment to God. And he makes this case through the life of Abraham by showing that it's always been by faith. We looked at uh, Genesis and we, we took a moment to, to reflect on how Abraham's life played out, that he came out of a land of idolatry, uh, that the promise was given to him prior to circumcision, and that just because Abraham many times lacked faith and trust in God, it never meant that God pulled his promise or made his promise rely on Abraham's actions. Now, as, as Paul gets into this a little, little bit a little bit more in depth here in verses 7 to 9, Paul wants to make something very clear, all right? And this is what we're getting to in question 6. It says, what is Paul explaining in these three verses regarding the Gentiles? What Paul is saying here is that when God said all nations would be blessed through him and his offspring— it was foreshadowing the blessing of faith and salvation that would be given to the Gentiles as they're equally sons of Abraham by faith. 
See, Abraham wasn't a child of God and the father of all nations because he was born that way. In fact, in the last podcast, we talked about the fact that he was born into a family of idolaters. So it wasn't because of anything about Abraham. He wasn't born into a covenant God chose him, which means that Abraham was made a child of God by faith in the promise that God made him to be his child. The idea of the promise and the idea of being a child of God is not about a commitment of us to God, but a commitment of God to us. And that is a crucial distinction. And if that's what made Abraham a child of God, if Abraham was a child of God because of God's promise to him and Abraham's trust in that promise, then that's what makes us children of God as well. The Gentiles like the Jews, are all children of Abraham by faith and not by works or birthright. And see, this is what Paul wants to point out. If God intended the plan of salvation to be by works, then he probably would have done this with Abraham very, very differently. He probably would have started by saying, Abraham, I desire to make you my child. I desire to bless you and make the father of many nations. But here's first the list of things that you must do. But that's not what happened. See, God first made the promise to Abraham, and then when Abraham struggled to trust that promise, he gave him some things that he should do and other things to help him to remember that God made the promise. This is not a commitment of Abraham to God. Just like nothing that we do is a matter of our commitment to God, but all of it is a reflection of God's promise grace and love to us. It's what we call sanctification. God's making us holy by his spirit as a result of the faith and promise that he's first given us. It always moves from God's love to our love out to others. And that's a natural way that God has set this up, which means that God's promise and commitment is always first and primary. Now, at this point, Paul's really going to hammer the, the, the Gentiles here and the, and the Judaizers with the word of God. And he's going to really jump in and, and press really hard with some Old Testament scriptures. So Paul's going to further his argument in support of salvation by faith by using the Old Testament itself. If it's the, the issues associated with being Jewish that are the problem for the Judaizers and confusing the Galatian Christians here then Paul wants to make sure that we have a very clear understanding as to what the Old Testament says. All right. Now, he's going to do this by kind of quoting Deuteronomy uh, in Galatians 3, 10 to 14. So let's read quickly Galatians 3, 10 to 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the, quote, righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, quote, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This gets us to question seven. 
Why is the quote from Deuteronomy 27:26 in verse 10 so important to Paul's case? The, the quote that he gives is again this, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. The Deuteronomy verse here is so important to Paul's case because it points to a reality about living according to the law. Specifically, that none of us can do it. None of us can live perfectly in accordance with the law. A point that's made several times by Paul in various letters. For instance, in Romans 3, 19-20, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, not through the law, since the law brings a knowledge of sin. In Romans 7, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Over and over again, Paul expresses this simple truth. If salvation was a matter of the law, we would all be lost. There's absolutely no way that we could in any way get close to God or achieve salvation by our works. It's impossible. We screw up all the time. And so Paul's saying if it's, if it's a matter of the law, if it's a matter of the things that we do, we might as well just throw in the towel now because it's, it's just impossible. Now, this whole line of argumentation leads us into verse 12, where Paul really kind of pushes this and, and, and kind of nails this down. All right, in question 8, he says, what is Paul saying in verse 12? Now, let me review what Paul's saying here. Verse 12 says, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Now, there's a lot packed into this one little verse. For the Judaizers and, and those like them, the law was the means to receive salvation. But here what Paul's expressing is the distinction between the law and the gospel. Th that you can't mix the two. You have to make sure that you clearly define both of them. And this is a, a major point to, to set up what we're going to be discussing later on in the book of Galatians. So in order to get kind of a firm grasp on this, I want to make sure we, we really define law and gospel. Now, if you're looking in your study guide, you're going to see uh, down below this question an opportunity for you to fill in some blanks and definitions. Um, there's a, a, a kind of a heading of natural law, divine law, and gospel. So, so let's get into these and clearly define these so that we're set up and ready to go in the future. All right. Natural law. Uh, when we're talking about natural law, what we're discussing is the law in accordance with the way that God designed things. All right, they're the kind of the rules and functioning of creation. These are the laws that are, are designed, woven into the fabric of the world without any specific expression from God as to what they are. Everyone kind of knows and understands this law. This is the part of the law that's kind of written on people's hearts. Uh, for example, the, the, the realities associated with anger. Um, and, 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 and we know this because of the, the kind of the nature of our response. There's just a built-in response to things. Um, if someone, for instance, takes something from you, um, you typically get angry when someone steals from you. 
Now, no one had to tell you that. No one had to instruct you to be angry. No, nobody uh, had to sit down beside you when someone took something from you and say, okay, well, now here's the correct response to this. Um, you should be angry. Uh, and the reason is because that's kind of built into us. There's this innate sense that there are right ways for things to happen and wrong ways for things to happen. In our frustration and anger when we experience sin is a reflection of that. This is all natural law. It, it's built in. Um, when, when we do something to harm a relationship, uh, when we steal, when we are violent, when we use harsh words, when we lie, it breaks relationships. And, and we know that that's a, a negative thing. And so this is all of the realities of the law that are built into creation. Again, don't need to be expressed. They kind of just are. Now, in relationship to natural law, we have divine law. And what we mean by divine law is these are the laws that are expressly given by God. Uh, these are all about kind of God's will for his creation expressed specifically through his word. Now, it's important here to recognize that divine law, that is law expressed specifically by God, is not something new, but rather is just an expression of natural law. Okay, so in the, in the expressed and divine law, God is giving us uh, a kind of a proper form and proper understanding as to what he has created the world to look like. Now, this includes some kind of different components. Uh, typically, this breaks down into three subclasses of moral law, civil law, and ceremonial law. Now, a lot of the, the laws associated with ceremonial law are intended specifically to teach us about God and remind us of who God is because sin makes it difficult to know that. All right, so a lot of the ceremonial laws are tied in there. Moral law, uh, things like the Ten Commandments, these are simply expressions of what is naturally built in and woven into creation, right? Uh, don't murder. We have to be told that, um, but there's something in us that knows that violence against us is wrong. So God expresses it, but that's just a reality that's built in. All right, but that specific expression is given kind of as a gift from God to, to give us a, a clear definition or boundary uh, for how it is that God desires us to live within creation. Uh, civil law, again, operates the same way, how we're to interact with other people on the basis of what is right and what is wrong. Now, it's these laws that the Judaizers are referring to when they're demanding that the Gentiles be circumcised. This is the kind of the ideas associated with ceremonial law. Um, divine law, which includes the Ten Commandments, as, as well as many other laws that God desires for his people, um, these laws are, are a part of, of kind of daily living, uh, but not specifically what the Judaizers are addressing. What the Judaizers want is they want the proper um, use and carrying out of ceremonial law, because they believe in their minds that it's the ceremonial law uh, that marks us and clearly makes us one of the covenant people. But this is where the contrast between law and gospel becomes important. What Paul does in his expression of the gospel is make this distinction very clearly that the law is definitely what God desires us to, to, to do and, and operate by. It is definitely God's will. But God's will is one thing and his gospel is another. And the two aren't tied together. In other words, the gospel doesn't depend on the law. The gospel is a promise outside of the realities of the law. And so this is where we want to make sure that we understand this. While we're still under the will of God, right? we still have to operate in accordance with the law, 
The gospel is the expression and execution of God's promises. So while the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection are kind of the ultimate expression of God's love and promise, we can see that any promise of God is classified as gospel. And so what we see is little promises along the way. The first proclamation of the gospel anywhere in scripture is in Genesis 3.15. That's where God promises that he will send one born of a woman that will bring about the restoration and salvation of all things. And then every promise and covenant made is in support of that first initial promise. Think about this, right? So, so we're going through time. God makes the promise in Genesis 3.15. We get the covenant made to Noah. The promise that God won't wipe out the earth like that again. What's that associated with is that God needs to preserve his people. He needs to keep a remnant so that he can honor the promise that he made to Adam and Eve. If everyone would have died and God would have started over, then the descendants of Adam and Eve would not have been the one to carry on the promise and eventually bring about Jesus Christ. So that's in honoring his promise. You go to the covenant made to Abraham, right, to be the father of all nations. The father of all nations was to bring us to the point where from Abraham would come Jesus. It was in order to get to Jesus. Same promise uh, made to David in the Davidic covenant. That promise that this one that would be the descendant of David would rule and reign, that he would be the king. Again, all associated with the first covenant promise of Genesis 3.15. Now, hopefully you're picking up what Paul's putting down here. Faith is a trust in the promise of God that is in no way tied to our ability and capacity to follow his will. Those are different things. We desire to follow God's will as a result of the trust in his promises and as a result of what God has done for us, but our honoring of his will does not earn his promise. Because if you earn a promise, it's not a gift, it's a wage. And so this is an important distinction. Paul needs to make sure that we understand, that the Galatians understand, that the law is not faith. The law is action that comes from faith, but is not faith itself. And to confuse them is to lose the gospel altogether and create for yourself another gospel. And that's the big problem that Paul is trying to address. Now, the strange thing is how easily we slip into this. I mean, how many times have you been uh, doing something or made a mistake and kind of cringed and thought to yourself, oh boy, I, I wonder what God thinks. Well, what's my status? Where am I at? What's in the balance? When the reality is, is that God isn't looking at it that way. Is God pleased by your sin? Absolutely not. But it's not like you do one wrong thing and all of a sudden you've lost the promise of God because God's promise doesn't depend on you. And so many times we tend to look at our Christian faith as a matter of what we're doing. Are we doing all the right things? Are we executing this faith rightly? But the love and mercy of God does not come as a result of, of our works or the things that we do. It comes as a result of God's promise. God loves because he chooses to love. It's that simple. And I know that doesn't necessarily resonate with the way that we understand the world to work. And that's, I think, what makes it so complicated for most people. 
we're so used to a world where you get what you earn. But in the case of God, God gives it freely. And because God gives it freely, we too should give it freely. We should love as God loves. We should have mercy as God has mercy. We should be gracious as God is gracious. And as we do that, we reflect the gospel in such a way that it shows the immensity of God's love. So as you go about your day today, I want to challenge you to kind of ask yourself this. What does it look like for me to have love and mercy freely as God does? And how can I live out that love and mercy in the lives of others? The kind of radical love and mercy that in no way depends on how people treat me or what they do to me. Think about that. Now, before we close out this episode of the Bold Speak podcast, uh, there's something I need to get off my chest. Uh, And that is in this edition of the In or Out. All right, on this episode of The Inner Out, I have a confession to make. It may be a little embarrassing, but I'm going to put myself out there. Okay, here we go. I love Hallmark Christmas movies. Now, I'm going to pause for a little bit and give you all time to settle down with the hysterical laughter, because more than likely you're probably laughing at me. And you know what? I am perfectly okay with that. And here's why. I know they're super cheesy. I know that the acting is subpar. I know the dialogue is many times forced. And for some strange reason, they all end with the guy and the girl kissing, as if that's all they wanted. Not really a relationship, they apparently just wanted to kiss. But there's something incredibly heartwarming about them. Look, I realize that 75% of them are ridiculously formulaic, right? They all go something like this. Young woman works in the city, comes home for Christmas, remembers how much she loves her hometown and her former flame, who used to be a total jerk, but his life is turned around. They fall in love again, she decides to stay in her hometown, and everyone is happy. But did you ever stop to think about why they are so formulaic? Maybe because something in that story resonates with something people already know. Look, Christmas is first and foremost about Jesus. That is undeniable. But there is also this strong sense that we long for everything that those movies represent. Love, hope, family, connection, the the list goes on and on. In the midst of lives filled with stress and chaos, with politics and, and tragedy, it's okay to seek rest from all of that. In fact, that's very biblical. Jesus invites us in Matthew 11 to, quote, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We want peace, love, and comfort. These movies, as cheesy as they are, give us an image of that. And while we know that that true peace and comfort isn't from some long-lost flame or some fairy tale romance, these stories do serve as a glimpse of a kind of love and peace that we hope for when Christ comes again. 
It's a reality that is only realized in Christ, but hinted at in these sappy movies. So if you've never watched a Hallmark Christmas movie before, uh, give it a shot. If you have someone close, invite them to watch it with you. Maybe sit down with family and watch it together. And if you just aren't into it, that's fine. But as for me, I have to admit, I am all in. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bold Speak Podcast. Hey, if you're enjoying what we're doing, if you're liking the Bible study, make sure you subscribe to us um, on SoundCloud. You can also now subscribe to us on iTunes. Very excited about that. Also, make sure you follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at forward slash the Bold Speak. Until next time, folks, have a great one. This is Anthony Creeden, and that is the Bold Speak. <laughs>